Welcome, Emily. Hi, Rhonda. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining us. So I have been very excited to talk with you. I want to hear all about your work as co-founder and CEO at Infinite Tree. I talked to you a couple of days ago and you were out in the fields checking your plants. So tell me all about your work. <laughs> so my work really, I wish we'd been there with me checking out the plants. Well, so me too. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> it's always fun to go look at plants, whatever they are. So I, my work at Infinite Tree as CEO is really about helping, you know, guide and direct our team to create best in class cannabis. So for the last four years, that's meant operating on the hemp side in the cannabis industry. So we run a USD organic certified farm in the Applegate Valley, right next on the Applegate River. And this farm is a research and development farm and a production nursery. So we develop new varieties of plants and we test them. So that's why I was out in the field doing research, looking at all the plants. And then we produce them as nursery products for farmers all across the United States. So that's primarily what we've been doing the last four years on the hemp side. And then more recently, we've been able to enter other areas of cannabis like the marijuana OLCC market, doing the same type of services and research and development. And then the at-home gardener market, so backyard gardeners, which is my favorite, being able to provide farm direct USD organic hemp plants to gardeners across the United States. So that's, that's what I do. I guide a team and help just deliver the best plants for people. Uh, and the plants happen to be cannabis. Well, <laughs> I love that. And I am very interested in hearing more about what best in class means. Yeah. Now, is that something is a, there is best in class hemp and then best in class marijuana or is it too Absolutely. okay it really means i think you know in traditional horticulture there's this really high standard you know when you go and you buy a tomato plant from a professional you know nursery like or you buy a blueberry bush from monrovia you know they have a quality there's a, a, a standard that is set a bar that's very high that it's going to have the best fruit it's going to have a great um maturation time, you know, the bricks level on those grapes that you, you know, the vineyard you started is going to have a, you know, particular metric, you know, given the season. And in cannabis, that's really been lacking. It was mostly, you know, due to its, its sort of history and legacy, really hard to get quality performing plants, like, you know, the same standard you would get going to a professional nursery commercial to buy, you know, grape starts as, or tomatoes, you know, it was hard to get that in cannabis. So when I say best in class, it's really the same metrics we apply to all the other plants that we buy either as backyard gardeners or commercially for farming, but applying it to cannabis. And in cannabis, that means for hemp, typically grown on acreage. So you want plants that are uniform, uh, set up to be harvested a certain way, whether that's hand harvest or mechanical. You want to have terpenes because that's typically something in the boutique flower market that's desirable and you want to have cbd because it's hemp so high percent of cbd and those characteristics so we really want to standardize and it'd be best in class like it's not 
1% terpenes, it's 4% terpenes. It's not um, floppy structure. It's really stout branches, hold up to wind and rain, easy to harvest. That is what we consider like take a category and we wanna have the best representative of those characteristics as we can. So on the hemp side, it tends to be more about acreage growing. So farmers typically grow on large acreage. We specifically develop lines for the craft flower market. So all those delicious, aromatic, tasty, smokables and edibles that are made with really high quality flour on the hemp side, that's what we specialize in breeding. And on the marijuana side, which we've just started working in with the OLCC now, we're doing the same type of breeding and research, but the marijuana market in Oregon and, and other places is very much focused on very high THC currently. So whereas in hemp, it's more about growing on that acreage and getting really good qualities. In marijuana, it's about smaller production volumes because people are limited with how much they can grow in the, the marijuana market. And every plant having 30% THC, you know, like that's generally what people really want right now. So they're a little bit different, but hemp and marijuana botanically are the exact same plant. They're both cannabis sativa and we employ the same techniques around research and breeding to develop them. We just have slightly different strategies because we want to meet the needs of our farmers. So if our, our marijuana farmers want 30% THC, we need to work towards that. And if our hemp farmers really want a unique 4% terpene profile, uh, then we work towards that, you know, for example. So they're a little different, but it's really about meeting the needs of the farmers because if they're successful, then I'm successful. So I don't have, I don't have strong opinions. I have my favorite things, <laughs> but it's really about making sure they have a product that grows wonderful for them agriculturally and in the marketplace sells wonderfully. And we have to have those two things, a good ag product and a great marketplace product. They have to be, we have to have both of those pieces before I release a plant uh, commercially. So it sounds so like- So that's what my long definition is. <laughs> it sounds like a, a lot of your work is very scientific with um, you know, measuring the, uh, you know, the yeah. level of THC um, for, uh, you know, especially for the marijuana um, products, but and make, also making sure that the hemp products don't go over the regulated amount of THC. Um, Absolutely. We're tell, very tell, quantitative. Tell I'm just trying to, you know, a lot of people think cannabis, it's very mysterious and they feel like it's very different than other commercially grown crops. I and I would say just legally, it has its own hoops that we have to jump through. But at the end of the day, like any other commercially produced crop, it has the same quantitative benchmarks that farmers need to hit in order to sell a quality product in the marketplace. So we're very sensitive to that. And we operate like a traditional research farm, even though we're in cannabis, we, we have the same high standards as other research farms. And I think that are developing new crops. And in cannabis, that's just been lacking. It's been very loosey goosey with what people bring to market. And there's been a lot of, you know, failure and skepticism around growing cannabis commercially because it's been so challenging to get quality, repeatable, you know, like high standard, high quality material. So we, we really are trying to work very hard. So 
I just say that we bring the same quantitative tools to horticulture that folks apply to tomatoes and grapes and rice and, you know, corn. We bring that same mindset to cannabis. Gotcha. And it's just, we're, you know, it's very early days because we haven't had a long time to breed with cannabis. So, um, but we measure lots of different things on our cannabis plants in order to pick out the best plants to bring forward either as new breeding lines or as a commercial product. Okay. Okay. I, so I can talk a bit about that. Um, how many strains do you grow of hemp? That's a great question. It depends on the year. This year, I believe we are trialing about 30 different, uh, we call them cultivars of, of cannabis. So there's like 30 different cultivars in our field. And that's um, a pretty good number for us. We've, we've gone a little higher some years, a little lower other years. It depends on uh, how many partners we're working with that year and what we're trying to develop. Federally, hemp is legalized across the United States. Right. So many states have federally, you know, within that jurisdiction programs to grow hemp. Backyard gardeners, depending on the state, have the ability to grow hemp also at home. So we ship to places like Massachusetts or DC because, you know, so it's all on the East Coast, the West Coast, the North, the South, many states have special laws that allow regular gardeners without a permit, without a commercial license to grow hemp. Some of the states also have laws to grow marijuana at home. Like California, you can grow marijuana at home. And in Oregon, you can grow marijuana at home with a certain number of plants. You know, you can have four personal plants or that kind of thing, depending on the state. So what we do is we ship hemp across the United States for backyard gardeners through Grow It From Home. So Grow It From Home is our direct-to-consumer line of hemp plants. And we can do that because in that particular state, there's laws that allow a person to grow without a license. And I can ship hemp federally across state lines because I have a bazillion permits and certifications to do that. So it's a little tricky in that way. We're the only company I know of that's been able to do this. And we're very particular about how we operate legally. We make sure we are very much in the black and white on things. And the joy that I see our gardeners, you know, in, in, you know, Massachusetts and Michigan growing, it's just, they're so excited for so many reasons to be able to grow at home and do it legally and with really high quality plants that are a joy to have in their backyard. So, so you really actually, you actually send them the plant, not the seed, ah. but the plant itself. Just like I wanted, if I wanted to get a, um, you know, a rose bush or some other plant from a company. I'm going to, I'm going to open the box and, and have my, uh, my hemp plant right there, ready to grow in my backyard. Awesome. Check out our website and our Instagram. We have unboxing videos of people being, I mean, they just love it. They get their box of plants and it's just like, I mean, you know what it's like to get plants in the mail. It's oh, yeah. amazing. It's so fun. So we're doing the same thing with, with hemp. So we ship, you get a three pack of plants in your box. They're in four inch pots so they're little seedlings ready to go in the ground we have beautiful custom packaging that keeps them safe and secure that we've developed and we ship direct to your home from our farm they're usd organic certified and we provide tons of online resources and i do workshops 
to help people grow successfully and answer their questions because it is a new plant in, in most people's gardens. But yeah, we ship plants direct. And then we also have a seed package, beautiful letterpress seed package in collaboration with an artist in San Francisco and then egg press in Portland. I really love our seed package and includes how-to instructions and a cannabis greeting card that's adorable. So definitely check out our website um, to see these things. So we ship both seeds and plants, but the majority of what people want honestly are plants because that ease and that joy of getting a plant in the mail that you know you can go ahead and put right in the ground really helps a lot of people feel more comfortable um, getting started in growing hemp. Cannabis is dioecious and it can have male plants and female plants. For many reasons, people historically have produced what we call non-feminized seeds. So they take a male plant and a female plant, they shake the pollen on the female plant and produce seeds. Those seeds are gonna be a mix of male and female seeds, right? Because there was a male parent and a female parent. Right. So that's why historically a lot of seeds or plants that were available would be both male and female. And then you'd have to figure out which one is male and female through a variety of methods. And it's a big stink because you have, it just takes up time and we don't want the male plants because if you pollinate the flowers, you don't get good quality flower for extraction or for smoking. So you don't want the boys. It's like the dairy industry. You don't want the boys. You just want the girls. So historically people have done it that way. However, modern plant techniques allow us to take a female cannabis plant and do what we call a reversal. So you apply special chemicals to a female plant and it causes it to express pollen. This is because cannabis is super cool biologically. I can't, I'm not going to go into details, but cannabis is just an amazing, it's a sexy plant. It's amazing. And uh, it, you can take a female plant and basically reverse it to be male. So what we now do in the industry, what I do and other companies that are really paying attention to quality and streamlined breeding programs and really helping get the best stuff out there as soon as possible and making it easy for our farmers. We reverse a female plant into a male and then we breed that reverse female to a female plant. So it still creates seed and the seed is phenomenal. It's still perfect seed. You would never know the difference. It's amazing seed. The only difference is it's all female seed. So I can breed two females together, which is great for a variety of reasons I can talk about. And you can then take that seed, give it to a farmer, and they're going to have 100% girls, which is exactly what they want. They want all female plants, and I'm handing them all female seed. So this whole thing around sexing cannabis plants, that comes from when you couldn't get feminized seed. And... A lot of the marijuana for sale illegally on the internet that you can buy as seeds is non-feminized because it's literally people in you know a gray market economy uh, or illicit market economy. It's easier to take a male plant and shake it on a female plant. And they have no incentive to provide their consumer something that's better. So that's, in my opinion, why we have so much non-fem seed around. It's because of the 
I don't want, I don't know, lazy maybe is the right, they, they just, they don't need to provide a feminized product to their consumers because the consumers aren't demanding it, they're not educated, and it's a, it's a gray market. Whereas in the legal market for marijuana and hemp, feminized, no one wants to deal with the male population. It's a huge, it's just a huge um, use of resources, labor, time, potential error, you know, you, you accidentally miss a male plant and then it pollinates your, your crop and then your crop is gone down in value immensely. No one wants that. So I think it's really just a sign. So no one needs, so I would recommend always buying feminized seed. It's kind of a sign you're working with a better breeder and uh, it's more of a fun science project to sex plants. Like that's something I would teach like a high school biology class on. <laughs> it would be more fun to do that. Like that's why I would use it. <laughs> but if, he, like, if people ordered, I would, I would love if people ordered seeds um, from you, they're going to get the feminized seeds that are for sure going to grow into the female plants that people want. Absolutely, hundred percent. Wow, that's yep. really cool. So tell tell me about your transition from, or actually it's an expansion of working with um, commercial growers to the home growers. Because yeah. that's got to be a, a, you know, a really different, a whole different ball game. It's, it's very different. I would say it's, it's very different, except some commercial farmers definitely ask the same questions as backyard gardeners because they're, everyone is so new to this field. So on the commercial side, that's what we started in serving farmers nationally. And to be honest, a couple years in, I started getting phone calls from our commercial website and emails from gardeners all over the United States asking for plants. So people found us on the internet, saw a very commercial website, and they still got in touch with me saying, I would love to grow in my backyard. How can you help me? Can you help me do this? And I was just touched by that because I had people asking for health reasons they wanted it to have access to fresh leaves for juicing or making edibles out of the fresh leaves for different digestive disorders i had people calling me because they wanted to gift it to a relative as a fun gift i had people calling me just because they wanted to they wanted to grow plants that they could use medicinally you know they were medicinal herb gardeners and they wanted to add hemp to their medicinal herb garden so I really had people of all ages and for all reasons getting in touch with me through a commercial website. So I thought, gosh, maybe folks are ready for this. So we looked into the laws and uh, spent a long time making sure that we had all the necessary permits and certifications to do this. And then we launched Grow It From Home. And it's been really well received. People love it. It's that's how, I mean, I've been working with backyard gardeners for, you know, a decade plus in San Francisco. I love gardening. I've always been involved in community gardening. So the, when people started reaching out to me for these commercial plants, I was like, so touched by it. And now I get to work with them. It's just, for me, it's just full circle. And I feel so lucky. I can bring high quality plants, the same commercial best in class plants we provide our farmers, I can now bring those to backyard gardeners legally, safely, appropriately, and they get a beautiful plant in the mail. It's just, I really love it. It's, it's fantastic. So it was funny, I, I was in the you know, backyard gardening world as a volunteer in San Francisco. I left that to do commercial, love working with my commercial farmers, but then those backyard gardeners just came for me again. 
I want to talk more about your background and how you came to um, the the cannabis industry. Yeah. So I so I've always loved to garden. I grew up gardening with my mom in San Jose, California. Uh, one of my earliest memories of a chore is pulling mint out from underneath the rose bushes. Oh, I know that chore. <laughs> yeah. Because mint goes everywhere. Yes, it does. I love mint. But yeah, I have very distinct early memories of pulling mint from underneath rose bushes and eating a perfectly ripe piece of cantaloupe from the garden. And it was just really quality time and fun for me and my twin sister and my mom to be outside together in our backyard in, in San Jose. So I grew up casually gardening. I just always liked being outdoors and working with plants with my family. And when my husband and I graduated college, we uh, put in like a, a big backyard garden in our first rental house. And, you know, we were out there at night picking the, the bugs off the green beans with flashlights and cups of soapy water. So, <laughs> so I got him into it too. And then when I moved to San Francisco to do my PhD, we lived in a very tiny apartment and I immediately got on the community garden list. So I got a community garden plot eventually. And one day I was walking to my community garden and I saw this totally derelict, gross piece of, of land next to the freeway. But there were some plants that were going in and a little sign that said, if you're interested you know, in helping contact this person. And it was totally an illegal garden, a gorilla garden, we call them. And I thought, that is awesome. I wanna help. I wanna get involved in that project. So I contacted the email address that was listed. We ended up meeting. I brought my, my boyfriend, brought her boyfriend. We met up in like a garden location and we just all instantly hit it off. And uh, so I was Annie Shaw, who, who I worked with. So, you know, fast forward a few years, Annie and I, along with the team of volunteers in the nonprofit Pennsylvania Street Gardens that we built together, along with the help of, of others, was able to raise, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, put in two public parks, all volunteer run. So every, you know, shovel that ever hit, you know, like basically every shovel that ever moved some dirt or gravel or put in a salvia or an agave was done by a volunteer. And it was, so I did all of this while doing my PhD at UCSF. So I ran this volunteer organization with Annie, putting in these parks and it was just, I just loved it so much. It was so wonderful and beautifying the neighborhood, you know, people being able to come back and say, Hey, I planted that tree. Like they bring their family and they're like five years ago, like I put in that tree. That's the tree I helped plant and, and really feeling part of their neighborhood and in control of their environment. that They could make a difference in their neighborhood. So that's why we put in the two public parks. Um, we've been, you know, commended by the state of California for our work with many other awards and, and things, but that's just, kind of what helped get the grant money in, you know what I mean? Like for me, it's, it's really about the monthly volunteer days, making a beautiful place in my neighborhood for people and providing access to plants. So I did that for, you know, over a decade in San Francisco. And I also ran a community garden in San Francisco. I was the elected community garden leader. So I just, my volunteer outside of work time was always gardening. Um, sometimes more administration than gardening, but a lot of a lot of gardening and 
providing access to beautiful places. That's really important to me. So I did that for, for many years as a volunteer. So I would, by day, I was a scientist. And after work, I was a community garden, you know, coordinator, public park steward. That's, that's amazing. And so when did you, well, when did you move to Oregon? So we moved to Oregon four years ago. Okay. And we moved here. I was working in science. My husband was working in tech. And we really wanted to work together on a project. And we started learning about that big need in cannabis for highly, you know, rigorously tested quality product development on the nursery side, like developing new plants and then delivering those new plants. And it was just fascinating to us. Both of us thought from a technical standpoint, it was really exciting from a logistics standpoint that it's a brand new industry, kind of a little bit because it was the wild west. You know, there's so much opportunity too. We could really be able to help a lot of people and move things forward with a lot of change pretty, pretty quickly. So for us, we were really excited by all of that. So that's part of why we chose to move to Oregon. It's why we bought, uh, we purchased a 23 acre property on the Applegate so that we have good resources and a long-term sustainable strategy for running a farm. And that's why getting our USD organic certification, as soon as it became legal for hemp to get that certification. We were like one of the first people online to get that. And we will continue to always try to be on that bleeding edge of developing best in class plants and growing sustainably and having the sort of certifications to show, hey, we're, we're good stewards of the land and we really pay attention to how we, we run our business. And I think that's, it's very important to us and our, our entire team that we operate that way. Where would you like the yeah. cannabis industry to be in the next five, 10 years, Emily? Um, where I would like to see, so where I would like to see the cannabis industry in five years, mm -hmm. I would like to see cannabis. So hemp and marijuana legalized nationally. I would like for consumers to have access nationally to high quality products that help their life and are, are beneficial to them. And I think that is hope that's probably going to be more balanced products. So not these 35% THC dab, you know, live rosin products or whatever. That's great and fun for a lot of people. But I think a lot of folks want a balance of THC and CBD, whether it's a smokable or an edible or a topical. And a lot of the, some of the medical research to date, which is new and ongoing, does show that small amounts of THC with CBD can be very helpful for some conditions. So having those balanced products on the marketplace is something I'd like to see in five years. So it's not just all THC or all CBD. You start getting balanced products that will help consumers and be more enjoyable for people. So I'd like the market to mature in that way. Um, and, and consumers then, too, don't you think that some of it is the fact that consumers need to be um, more uh, educated? It's really hard for the consumer to find great, trustworthy information on how these cannabinoids are going to affect them. So if they're using them medicinally, that's really important. And there's some really good resources online, but we're in early days on all of this. You know, this is just the last couple of years that there have been really good resources. 
And on the other side, there's a ton of misinformation on the internet. So you can very much get off in the other direction. So I think people, as things legalize nationally with both THC and CBD products together, I think people will become more comfortable and it will start, they'll start to understand through use and through more education that a balanced product might be better for their pain relief or a balanced product might be more fun for their like Saturday night out with friends. You know, it, it will allow people to explore in that way that right now is a little more challenging. Not that there aren't great balanced products out there right now, but it's the predominant message in the media, you know, is really high THC for marijuana and then all about just wellness and CBD only products on the CBD side, because legally you can't have any THC in there. So, well, I'd like to, yeah. Your company is definitely providing resources and information, not only for commercial growers, but for backyard gardeners who want to grow hemp cannabis in, um, in their garden. And so thank you. Thank you for the important work that you do. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I love doing it. It's I, I couldn't I could not do it. 